friends, and welcome back to the Cat Fink cast. Here we are, we're talking about all things that are wood, woodworking, technical, design, ethereal, whatever happens to come across our bows. So um, today, as we're just beginning to dive into all of this stuff, um, I'm at that phase with my own shop where I'm having to do really basic building block things. And what is more basic or building block than your workbench? So um, in the process of setting up my own shop, I've been contemplating all of the possible ways that I could uh, build my bench and what it should be made of and how that should go. And there's so many decisions to be made um, that it can actually be quite, uh, an overwhelming thing to contemplate for such a simple tool. So, um, I have purchased a book called the workbench design book, <laughs> which in some ways is kind of a really overkill way to go about, uh, something that should ostensibly be quite simple, but, um, well, we'll get into it. There's there's things that I think are great and things that I think are uh, maybe I did myself no favors. But uh, <laughs> um, anyways, this book is by a fellow named Christopher Schwartz and the popular woodworking staff. And obviously this guy is very much in love with workbenches. It is what he does. He literally wrote the book. So um, it's great to get some advice from somebody who this is their thing but uh, I will say boy there's nothing like getting out into the weeds about about something to make it seem a little bit overwhelming so the first thing that I will say from my perspective is um <laughs> is a rule that I find that's applicable to just about everything in life if you need a workbench and you need to make one for yourself uh, the correct answer to any question you may have about how you should build it. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's going to involve your action being better than simply not building it because you're overwhelmed um, with wanting to make the right decision. So <laughs> this is something that I find really easy to get bogged down in is I've got a, a 250 page uh, hardcover Book, textbook in front of me um, that's all about every workbench design that you could possibly want to uh, sink your teeth into and it's easy to find that uh, just so overwhelming that you don't build a workbench <laughs> so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a like kind of quick pop through the main points that he makes and he gave us I think 18 rules to live by in regards to making your workbench. The, the book, I think, is fabulous. Um, I definitely would recommend it if somebody is interested in such things. But uh, like I said, I think it's important that you don't let yourself get too bogged down in the details because uh, it's easy. It's easy to end up in the weeds and just never actually do the thing. So um, diving right in, I, I guess we're just going to start with what Christopher believes is important with workbenches and uh, I'm going to give my own little commentary as we go through and and we'll see how this goes. 
Um, the first thing that he makes a really strong point with, which is to say he makes such a strong point that he fight club style repeats it twice. Like principle number one for workbench building is always overbuild your workbench. And principle number two of uh, building your workbench is always overbuild your workbench. So clearly he thinks that this is very important. Um, I... I totally get that. There's nothing quite as irritating as especially like planing or card scraping or things where you're having to kind of inflict your will on a piece and your whole bench kind of goes flying or you're having to like, uh, <laughs> perhaps perhaps I've gotten myself into positions that other people maybe don't quite as often having had like a background in uh, as a circus performer then maybe I've got a little bit more uh, range of movement than other people but I definitely have found myself with like my leg holding a bench down while I'm trying to use both of my hands to do the planing um, wrapping a foot around like the stretchers on on a bench or trying to like use my hip to chuck the thing into the wall to break you know like for sure you can find yourself in some really awkward positions and it's uh all all something that could be um circumvented by just having a really really heavy workbench um we can get into this more as you we go along but um you know there yeah we'll get into it more <laughs> in a step regarding like the weight and heft of a workbench but generally speaking I'm going to give him a big thumbs up on that one like yeah it's great to have a very hefty workbench and we'll talk about the restrictions of that here in a minute um the third thing that he that he points out is to question unusual designs and I think that this is a really good point it's something that um came up for me a lot in in woodworking school and um, talking with with people who'd been at this for for a long time regarding just furniture design or you, you know whatever it is you happen to be building sometimes you can believe that you've come up with a really clever idea and um, that you're just you're just that brilliant and that's um it's tantalizing, but when you think about how many people over how great and vast a, a period of time we've been working with wood, um, the chances are pretty good that somebody else has already thought of it. And that's not to say that there's no room for creativity or for like, obviously, this is there's such a rich art form and there's so many places with design that we can um, come up with fabulous ideas. But... Um, chances are really good that if you have thought of doing something totally uh, out in left field, that somebody else has already tried it and figured out why that was like really not a good idea and it, and it didn't work out well for them. So definitely um, if you come up with a brilliant idea, it's not to say don't do it, but definitely step back for a moment and say, God, I've just, I've never seen anybody do this before take a second um, to be humble and and ask yourself why <laughs> and be like okay why is nobody doing this because maybe the answer is that the, they're just this brilliant design that has been missed all these years and you've got the uh, 
the million dollar patent in workbench design. Um, but it's also very possible that you're not as clever as you think you are. So keep keep an eye out for that. Um, number four from Christopher um, is your bench cannot be too heavy or too long. So this is um, kind of going back to that overbuilding your workbench. And again, it, it definitely makes sense. It's It's kind of a complicated thing because these days it's such a huge privilege. If you're somebody who is able to set up your workshop and do it in a very uh, permanent feeling way and you're you've got lots of space to do that with that's amazing not the the majority of people I wouldn't say have that luxury and so on one hand you want to have a bench that's really heavy and that it's nice and long that you've got room for um, doing all of your work on it that um you're going to be able to easily have the pieces that you're working on completely on your bench. But for a lot of people, that also means that they have to consider the possibility of like how they're going to move this thing when they leave whatever shop they're currently in or their uh, house that they're currently living or, you know, whatever the arrangement is. So um, you, you have to make decisions that make sense for your own life. Um there's ways that you can add weight to a bench if you're not able to build something that's just monstrous so sandbags or um you know just screwing it into a a flat floor which is to say like yeah okay maybe not everybody's going to be uh happy for you to bolt into the floor of your shop if it's a rental but um you can also just get yourself a sheet of, of ply or OSB or something like this and um, get some really firm attachments to the bottoms of your legs and uh, and use other materials to weigh down that platform so that um, you kind of create more of a mechanical connection to something that's got more heft without having to use massive, massive timbers that are going to be impossible to to shift to the next thing because you know you're going to put a lot of effort into even if you even if you decide to just slap something together it ends up being a fair bit of work um, that you go into building something like this so you don't want it all to be wasted um he says it can't be too long that makes sense to me again depending upon like what sort of environment you're you're working with you you have to you can't build a bench bigger than the room that you're in um if you are somebody who wants to have a tail vise on your bench then again that's going to affect the length that the bench can be because then again you're not just building to the size of the space that you're in but you're also needing to leave yourself enough room that you can actually functionally use the vise at the end um and have room for yourself and have room for your plane and have room for, you know, what, whatever tools you're working with. Okay, so then number five was choose the right height, lower is better. So there's this kind of funny um, concept that 
people were just super super short in in history <laughs> when you look at uh, old workbenches like old European workbenches and stuff and um, a lot of people kind of question like why were the benches built so low and come to the conclusion that yeah just people were super short and that's all there is to it <laughs> but um, if you imagine using older tools it makes a lot of sense so if you were doing a lot of hand planing at your workbench um, and you think about the fact that old style hand planes were made of three inch wood stock so you you had that extra height that was just in the tool itself that you were holding in your hands. Um, so there's different, there's different kind of guidelines that people use for how tall your bench should be based upon, you know, who you are and your own body proportions, et cetera, et cetera, and what, what you like to work with. Um, some people say that your bench should be at the height of your palms when they're flat at, um, at the length of your wrist when your arms are by your side or the joint of your pinky to your hand you know at the end of the day you have to make your own decisions and once again it's going to be very personal because some people do a lot of hand planing some people are never going to use a hand plane some people are using a lot more um, mechanical tools uh, like power tools and and other people are doing everything with hand tools so you kind of have to experiment a little bit but I think the point that he's emphasizing that does make sense is to try to choose a height that's lower rather than taller and you're going to find that you've got more of a mechanical advantage um, for things like planing for things like chiseling and it is possible to um, add risers to a bench or um, for you to just bend your legs and use your body to to get a little bit lower in a way that's going to give you mechanical advantage rather than you being uh, stuck on your tiptoes because you built your bench too high um principle number six is about where your bench should live in the shop and this seems uh, again it's, it kind of falls under that category of of privilege. I mean, there's this concept that your bench should be facing north, um, should be braced against the wall, um, so that you're you're getting that northern light. Um, but you know, <laughs> it's really going to depend on what you've got available to you in your space, and um, what what works for you. Like maybe you're in a cold cold spot and you if you're going to be working at your bench you want to be as close to that like one little wood stove that's in the corner so you want to set up your bench as close to that as is reasonable without you know lighting your bum on fire so I I'm not too sold on this I understand that there's good reasoning behind um wanting to deal with like light and all of these things but I think that there's enough ways around um, light issues that you you want to work with what works for you in the space that you have available. Um, number seven, you should be able to move your bench, but not too easily. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> Again, we're kind of reflecting back on previous stuff. I I definitely think that 
at the end of the day, if you think that you're building this bench to be in this spot and it's never going to have to move again, then you should lean in and build yourself a beastly bench. Um, if you don't think that you're going to be staying in that place for very long, then you want to make something that's more portable and that uh, has more um has more options. There are a lot of kind of ways that people have tried to be clever with benches, with wheels and casters and all these different things. But having a bench on wheels just at the end of the day, even if they've got brakes, even if they've got these various kind of clever, clever ways that they're meant to lock down tend to not be great unless you've got a very expensive system with like you know, uh, hydraulics where it like raises and lowers onto the, <laughs> onto the wheels. But I, I find that something that's sitting on wheels, even if the wheels are locked out, it's not going to be as sturdy in the way that it sits as something that's going to be on flat feet. So, um, definitely consider that and work with what you, the parameters are of your own, your own life, your bench based on principle number eight here we go your bench is a 3d clamping surface i think that this is a really important point and something that um it's it's easy to get distracted by the cool things that you want to add to your bench and forget about the fact that it's it's less a piece of furniture and it's more literally a tool itself and you want to build a really effective, efficient, functional tool. Um, so if you think about your bench as something that is a clamping surface and that is the purpose of it, then you're going, it's going to affect the, the way that you design it and the choices that you make for things like drawers and things like your vices and the way that the legs connect to the top and your aprons and stretchers and all of these different elements. If you've got all this topography to various surfaces of the bench, if it's got all these different levels, then it's not very nice to clamp to. It's actually uh, a real pain in the ass. Um, I worked on a bench for quite a while that had, it was not an overcomplicated bench. I liked it a lot, actually, but it had that bloody drawer and I loved having the drawer. I loved being able to keep my tools and my like design tools and um, some of my smaller hand tools like right there. They were really convenient. But at the end of the day, every time I had something clamped up um, in the face vice or I was using the dogs or, you know, whatever, then you'd find yourself with the drawer stuck behind a dog and you can't get it open and you need the tool that's in the drawer and so then you end up having to unclamp things that maybe were clamped kind of meticulously um, just to be able to get at the tool that you need. And that's that's really frustrating. So you want to pay attention to um, keeping keeping all of your sides as kind of level with one another as possible and keeping things like drawers out of the way. Um Number nine, all benches should be able to grip the wood so you can easily work on faces, ends, and edges. Okay, I mean, it's kind of just addressing the same thing we were just talking about. So um, I give it a thumbs up and we can move on. <laughs> 
number 10, aprons or skirts are only useful to look at, but interfere with clamping. Um, yeah, aprons and skirts, like they, uh, they can, you can kind of make aesthetic choices because you think that it looks nice. And again, it's that trying to remind yourself that this is a tool and not a piece of furniture. And so it can be exciting to want to do something that's very pretty or that you find aesthetically pleasing, but then suddenly you realize that you've created something that's like, you know, three quarters of an inch set back from the face of your legs. And then, and then it, it creates this awkward thing that you can't really work with. Um, so definitely keep these things in mind and, and think about the functionality before you get too caught up in, um, the beauty of it, because at the end of the day, it's not your bench that you're selling. Um, number 11, overhanging front edge. Do you want it exactly the same conversation? Um, which is to say, you know, it's something that, that creates an awkward surface. Number 12, tool tray. Similar things like your tool tray. I, I personally kind of love having my tool tray, but I'm going to tell you why. And you're going to roll your eyes. Um, I like having uh, a guy one <laughs> with um, tea on my workbench. I like having uh, a little plant on my workbench. I like having, you know, I like having really impractical things in my space. At the end of the day, like, I am a little bit more of an artist than I'm a little bit than I am a craftsperson. Uh, I'll totally admit that. And creating a space that's really pleasing for me in a tactile and sensory way to create in is really important to me. And so I like having a tool tray that I can put things in that the pieces are still going to be able to just clear the top of it. And I don't need to try to find somewhere else to strike these things too. So if I have, you know, a big flat piece, they're just going to go over top of whatever is in my tool tray. Um, so I, it, <laughs> Christopher Schwartz's point was like a tool tray ends up being just kind of a catch-all for your clutter and a place that you just keep all kinds of stuff that you don't really need to be a part of your, um, a part of your work surface. And that's kind of true. Um, I don't disagree with him, but I love having a tool tray because I love a certain amount of chaos and clutter and, um, cozy coziness. So I'm going to leave that up to you. I think they're great. Um, but I definitely think that you set yourself up for creating a space that you are just going to end up kind of tossing things. It's kind of, it becomes the man drawer or the junk drawer or, you know, whatever you call it of your workbench. Um, number 13, select the best material. I think that this is, it was an interesting part of the book to read. I found it uh, a really, actually a very useful conversation because it took me quite a while to um, decide what I was going to use as the material for my workbench because I had a fair bit of hardwood. I had maple that was kicking around from, that had belonged to my dad, but it was, it was old, it was warped, it was rough sawn, it was, you know, all these different things. 
and it was going to require a lot of processing for me to be able to laminate this maple together to create a, a sturdy bench top. I would have been able to make something pretty awesome, but whew, it would have taken me some time, especially because at the moment that I was beginning uh, the project of building my workbench, I did not yet have my jointer. And so all of my joining I was doing by hand with um, with a bench plane. And boy, um, doing that many yeah, it would have it would have just been ridiculous. Um, so on the flip side, what I did have in hand was some really nice, large, like six by six white pine stock. And it's beautiful. I love the look of it. Um, and it smells great, but it's softwood, you know, and so you you get it in your head that you can't use uh, softwood because it's going to get dinged up, it's going to wear down, it's going to not be heavy enough. It's all of these things that um, kind of convince us that we need to use hardwood. So um, yeah, it was it was a great chapter. I totally recommend actually reading everything he has to say about it. But I think a few of the a few of the points that are useful from my end is like, the best material to use is something that's clear, it's dry, it's inexpensive and it's available in thick lengths so that you don't just spend uh you know rip van winkle level years um laminating up a massive butcher block because it's it's gonna take a while <clears throat> so if you can get thicker material it's gonna shorten up the amount of time that you spend doing that um, obviously, it's possible that you can get just huge single slab pieces, but um, that's a whole other kettle of fish. And if you're that person, then Godspeed. Um, <laughs> but I'm not that girl. So um, yeah, softwood gets it does get dinged up, but it's also easy to flatten. And there's some types of softwood that do actually harden up well with time with time. Yeah. So, you know, resinous softwoods, once they're dry, like a yellow pine or something like that, it's going to get really hard in, you know, a couple of years. So, um, so don't necessarily shy away from something just because it's a softwood. You're going to want it to be nice and thick because, uh, maybe you will ultimately have to flatten it a little bit more frequently than, uh, than a hardwood bench, but you know, um, you want to pay attention to what the pores are like on the wood that you're choosing. If you choose something like ash or oak, um, these are woods that are open poured. And so if you were doing something like uh, sharpening or anything like that at your bench, then you're running the risk of those pores catching metal filings and kind of holding on to them and, and definitely, uh, being an issue when you flatten your bench, when you uh, run your tool into them, when they rust, when they etc. etc. So, um, yeah, worth considering what you want to choose for your material, um, but don't get as hung up on it having to be, you know, a uh, a solid hardwood bench as as maybe you get maybe you would think. Um, 
number 14 he says showcase benches made from exotic materials with showy details are nice but do not make the bench work any better and uh, again I think we've kind of covered that sentiment but it's worth reiterating you know at the end of the day the bench it needs to be beautiful enough that you're content with it and you feel happy interacting with it but um this is not this isn't what's going to go in the museum it's not what you're going to put on your uh on your uh web page unless it's you're planning on being a bench builder as a profession but um yeah take your time and put it towards your real designs and your actual pieces that you want to be working on and um don't get too hung up on needing to have you know that that feature of uh, mahogany or you know whatever like the fine lines run through your through your workbench because you know it can be cool like don't don't not do it if that's where your heart lies but uh don't get so don't get too hung up on it uh, number 15 vices are laid out the way they are for a reason this is um this is kind of back in that all the way back at the beginning we were talking about um if you think that you've come up with a brilliant clever idea then maybe somebody else has already tried it and found out that it wasn't that brilliant or clever it's the same thing with vices they're they're laid out the way that they are because they've been doing it for a very long time and realize that you know your face vice if you're right-handed it should be on the left side of your bench because that way you're able to use your plane in your right hand and go to the left uh, if you're left-handed then put your face vice to the right-hand side of your bench for the same reason and then similarly for the tail vice um, your tail vice goes on the right end of your bench top if you're right-handed um dog holes super interesting and i'm sure plenty contentious and people have lots of opinions on these things um i have always worked with square dog holes and i always thought of that as like the traditional way um to do it <laughs> and you can run into both by all accounts both are traditional like you can find uh, workbenches going way back that have both square or round holes for your dogs so um, don't get too caught up in what you um, w wanting to be a traditionalist about <laughs> about the dogs um, for those who don't know your dogs are I, I guess I should just assume that everybody knows what your dogs are. But anyways, the dogs are the pegs that fit into the bench top and that allow you to work uh, with your vices to hold things down in kind of more creative ways. Um, and yeah, you can run into metal ones and wood ones, square ones, round ones, and there's kind of advantages and disadvantages to each. People are, once again, as always, going to have pretty strong opinions on them. Um everything's everything's available to you it's all possible the things that are worth considering is that if you're using a metal dog to work on wood and you have that little moment of brain fart and you um, run your hand plane 
into your metal dog, the metal dog is always going to win against your your blades. And so you may find yourself spending a lot of time doing uh, doing reparative sharpening and flattening on your cutting tools and your um, planes. Um, if if you have metal dogs and you're not kind of prepared to keep your mind on that aspect of it when you're setting up your clamps and whatnot. Um, yeah, because I mean, if you're spending what, like $400 on a Lee Nielsen plane <laughs> and see what the repair costs for you after you've bashed it through a metal dog, that kind of hurts the heart. Um, square versus round squares like cool and what I'm used to and uh it's easier to make the dogs themselves you can whip those up pretty easily um and you know that that's great something that's nice about the round dog holes is that you can just add more at any time which say you get yourself a three quarter inch bit and you just drill another hole where you need one now when you're setting up to build your bench it's going to be uh, more ideal that you consider where you actually want those dog holes to be once again based on what you actually do yourself for work so different people are going to have different needs but um yeah i i think like a general recommendation is for the front row um of dog holes to be about two inches from the front of your bench um if you're working with hand tools and if you're working more with power tools, you can set it a little further back. But, you know, um, there's, it's it's really, again, it's really personal. And um, the nice thing about the round holes is that you can kind of set up a basic layout and then drill a few more down the line as you go and you discover that there's something else that you, that would be really useful to you. So it's a, a lot more... Um, easily retrofit we'll say um number 17 storage on the bench needs to be very carefully considered and minimal this is again the concept of um having your your trough and things like that i i love it but you know why <laughs> so um proceed as you desire <laughs> um and number 18 was in regards to finish and uh, the gist of what he says is just less is more and that seems really fair you want to have um a finish on your bench that's going to generally protect the wood but you don't want something that's going to bleed off or or get chipped away or you know cause you issues with um interfering with other pieces so uh linseed oil is a good is a good option and like a very classic um it, it gives you a little protection from water spills but um you can use varnish or uh boiled linseed and uh low order paint low odor paint thinner um which will give you some protection against dye and stain. But yeah, generally just like you want to avoid a slick 
finish or like anything that's going to be high build, which seems like uh, an instinctual or like a logical thing. But I can also imagine people who, once again, revisiting previous conversation here is like if you've put a lot of effort into making a really gorgeous bench and uh, doing some like really cool little bits of character and some uh, lovely like inlaid bits of other types of wood and then you think it looks so beautiful that you want to like really encapsulate that and keep the glow of that beautiful wood grain and so um, you decide you're going to put a nice high build varnish on your on your workbench then eventually you're you find you're just going to end up with something that's gorgeous and that you have no desire to use because you don't want to ding it up so uh, worth keeping in mind what the purpose of the bench is in the first place um those are the broad strokes and I am I think that this was a great book I'm I'm really happy to have read it and happy to have spent the money on it so just to reiterate it's called the workbench design book the art and philosophy of building better benches um so I definitely would encourage you to to read that book or other books on workbenches but don't get too bogged down in the details to the point that it just stops you from doing it at all at the end of the day having uh some two by fours slung together on some two by sixes you know it's gonna be better than not having a bench at all so uh make our decisions to uh hear the call to action (laughs) um so yeah i definitely do not profess to be a uh an expert on benches or on any of this stuff this is all definitely a uh, an exercise in learning as I go and sharing the information with you as it comes to me so um, it's one of the things that I'm really excited about with this podcast so if you have uh, comments or questions or things that you'd like me to add to to the canon or and share with everybody else then feel free to uh, write to me at catfink at gmail.com or you can find me on Patreon at catfink. Fink is spelled F like foxtrot, I-N-C-K. And I think that's it for this time around. Thanks so much for joining me. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.